all of you. Thank you for joining tonight. Namaste to those of you who are online. Tonight in this satsang session, I will do what is called the master class today. I haven't used that name for many, many years. <clears throat> A presentation, an introduction for the coming Kashmiri Shaivism workshop. This year, exceptionally, the Kashmiri Shaivism workshop, after three, four years of break, is coming together with the Kashmiri intensive retreat or Kashmiri Shaivistic practice, intensive, because, and I'm going to explain that later when I talk about the admin of it, because people learn some absolutely amazing things in the Kashmiri Shaivism workshop, and there is so much teaching to be given, and there is so much intellectual, philosophical, and metaphysical content in the Kashmiri Shaivism workshop, that unfortunately the real goodies, the gold, the pearl and golds, are coming in the last couple of days of teaching, and people are very eager to practice those things, to see how it works, to try it, because yoga is an eminently practical thing. You don't want to hear about yoga, you want to practice yoga. And because of that, we always witnessed, 10 years ago, we witnessed a sort of frustration in the end of the Kashmiri Shaivism intro, that the workshop is superlative, like many people have superlative testimonials about it. But then there is the thing like, wow, it's like the door has been open and the things are just beginning. They are just starting now. And now the workshop is finished because it goes for 36 hours of teachings and that's about it. So... This year, exceptionally, we found somehow the time, the schedule, the, the manpower, all the resources in Agama to make it again that we have the workshop, 36 hours of teaching. And then on top of that, we are having also the intensive, the practice retreat where people can just sit together with the teachers, with me, and practice those amazing teachings from Kashmiri Shaivism. Now, Kashmiri Shaivism has a very weird name because Kashmiri is a strange way of declining the name of Kashmir and it's actually the Hindi way, the Sanskrit and Hindi way. Kashmiri means of Kashmir. If you would want to be correct in English, you would say something like Kashmirian <coughs> and Shaivism is another declination which is unusual, and the correct, uh, if you wanted to be blunt English uh, language, you would say Shivaism, like you say communism, fascism, uh, I don't know, Buddhism, and it's another ism, it's Shivaism. But uh, in its land of origin, you don't decline the word Shivaism like that, and therefore you modify a diphthong, that's a thing of Sanskrit, which is also somewhere on our, our to-do list, in this spring, and it becomes Shaivism. So it's a, it's a bit of a hybrid, it's a fusion type of 
dialect when we say that. The name itself is telling us it's something from Kashmir, Kashmirian or something called Kashmiri. And Shivaism, Shaivism, you know, it's like, why do I want something from Kashmir? Until you reach to know this one, the only good thing which came out of Kashmir is the beauty of its geography, that it's one of the most beautiful geographical areas on earth, and is the fact that they do some incredible silk carpets, Persian silk carpets, but unfortunately it's done with child labor, a lot of it, because silk is very fine, and to weave that silk you need very tiny fingers, grown-up fingers of adults cannot go in such small things. So unfortunately in Kashmir there are seven-year-old kids who do carpets all day long. Under the, for the sake of their family, it's not a slave, they are not sweatshops uh, and so on, but nevertheless, um, it's still a child exploitation of some sort. And now we find out that Kashmir has some another worthy thing, another thing worth mentioning, and this is Shivaism, Shai, Vism, this one sounds really religious, really cultish, really Hindu, really sectarian. You know, like some people are worshipping Krishna and they just sing Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. And some people are worshipping apparently Shiva and those would be from Kashmir or nearby. So it's Kashmiri, Kashmirian, Shaivism. It sounds like such a niche name, such a limited thing that, well, okay, you Google it, you go on some Wikipedia or some place and you find out, you find out a little bit more, it still doesn't tell you why such a niche thing is present in a yoga school and what is its scope. Let's make it clear from the very beginning. Kashmiri Shaivism under this weird name, and it takes me approximately four or five hours in the first day of the workshop or maybe first and second day of the workshop, because we go, now we have put three hours per day. It takes, it might take me two sessions of three hours, each four or five hours, to show you that this is an amazing form of yoga. It's an amazing form of spiritual practice. In um, traditional India, there is no philosophy that you cannot practice. If you read the critic of the pure reason, or if you read, uh, I don't know, generally Hegel, Kant, Schopenhauer, and other philosophers, I mentioned only the German ones, but there are others as well. When you read Western philosophers, after you, we can talk about a Western philosopher for 30 hours, and then I would say, now let's sit and practice what Mr. Hegel or what Mr. Kant taught. That's nonsense. You cannot practice anything. This is armchair philosophy, where you sit in an armchair and you keep on speculating on the nature of reality and of things. There does not exist such a thing in, in spiritual India, Tibet, Kashmir, or other parts of that, uh, of the world, because if it's not something that you can do, then it's not worth it. It's not real, it's a speculation. It must be something which you can do, and it must be something which when you do, it gives results. Like it does something. If I can do something, a yoga, which accelerates my heartbeat, or increases my body temperature, 
or decreases my body temperature, or decreases my blood pressure, or increases my blood pressure, or increases the production of thyroid hormone, or increases the, my production of adrenaline, or some, then it's something which you can do, and it has effect. If I can do a meditation, and you can measure my brain waves, and see that my brain waves are changing spectacularly, not a 5% change of my brain waves, a spectacular overall change of my brain waves, then it's like, hey, you are doing something practical. Practical. No? I remember I was asking my Indian guru about a rare and difficult technique from Kundalini Yoga if he was into it. And he immediately did some movements, he did some procedures in front of me, you know, and he showed me immediately that he could do some of the things which were qualifying him for that. And he said, hey, I'm a practical yogi. No, like yoga is eminently practical. So although it will seem that sometimes I will do a lot of intellectual work with you, that intellectual work is very practical. It's meant to move your mind in a certain way. And yes, there is philosophical and metaphysical stuff, but it's all, in the end, practical. The people who invented this, Vasugupta, Somananda, Utpaladeva, Bhatanarayana, Laleshwari, Abhinavagupta, Kshemaraja, Jayarata, and others, they did not, they were interested only in a practice which can, you can do it, and which you can teach other people around you to do it. So, in the end, we can say that Kashmiri Shaivism, if you don't have time more than 10 minutes to listen to me in this satsang and you want to stop ASAP, then you can stop here. Kashmiri Shaivism is an amazing, unusual, exceptional form of yoga. And if you want to learn more about it and see what's so special about it, and if you don't have the patience to listen to me now for one hour when I describe the characteristics of it, then uh, be there on Monday when we start and you will see what it is and why it has this peculiar reputation. Agama, Agama Yoga is a synthesis of several forms of yoga, mostly tantric forms of yoga. And when I say tantric, I don't have the reference of tantra as related to sex, but I have the reference of Tantra as related as the Tantric metaphysics. This thing with sex is the obsession of the Westerners, who are um, totally fascinated by the fact that there is sex in a spiritual path, along a spiritual path, and therefore they have blown it out of proportion. In 112 techniques in Vijnana Bhairava Tantra, 112 literally techniques of meditation, there are five which can be applied to the sexual union or to the sexual function. Five. Five out of 112 means less than 5%. So less than 5% of the tantric tradition is addressing the issue of sex, sexuality, and how to do it. But again, the obsession with sex is so powerful that Westerners, uh, when you say tantric yoga, they say, ah, that thing with sex. Yeah, but it's also with mantras, with yantras, with shakti, with energy, with nadis, with chakras, with uh, alchemical use of the body, and with other and other things which have nothing to do directly with sex. 
So Agama Yoga is very much focused on Tantric Yoga. And that is because Tantric Yoga is very much like physics, mathematics, chemistry. It's like a science because it's based on energy, circulation of energy, resonance, vibrations, accumulation of energy, and all the effects which result from that. And because of that, it's a very technical form of yoga in which um, you learn things in a very rational way. It's not some hocus-pocus. It's you, you understand it step by step. And in Tantric Yoga, there are different levels. For example, there are aspects of Tantric Yoga, like Hatha Yoga, Kundalini Yoga, at least some forms of Kundalini Yoga, and some forms of Laya Yoga, which address mostly the body, the energy body, the health, the vitality, the biological function of the chakras, a bit of emotions, and stuff like that. So... In Tantric Yoga, we are addressing different levels of existence. Well, in Agama, there are three levels or three major branches of this Tantric Yoga. One of them is the kind of Hatha Yoga, Kundalini Yoga, Laya Yoga, which we do with chakras, with energy, with concentration, with resonance, with flow of energy in the body and which energizes physical parts, etheric parts, astral parts, mental parts of your being. And this is a tradition which came in India from Matsyendra and Goraksha, the Nath yogis, the founders of the Natha Sampradhaya. And it is the root of the Nath style of Hatha, Kundalini and the others. That's something which we teach very, very nicely in Agama. And we do it thoroughly, slowly, step by step. It can take several seasons for you to learn all the things of it. So, of course, everybody takes as much as they can from this one. Another aspect of the Tantric tradition is the Kaula lineages, the Kula or Kaula lineages. And that's where we talk about the worship of Shakti. Because everything is about energy. Energy is qualified metaphysically as being Shakti. And therefore, this is something which some Indologists call Shaktism. Like working on the aspect of Shakti. And this Shaktism, when it goes more into emotions and mind, it becomes what is called Tantra Bhakti. The
not that far now. Right, back, Mukta, the camera is going on. Give him some some image. One, two, three, one, two, three. Can you see the sound moving? Yeah, let's go. Tell me when I'm on. Okay. So, sorry for the interruption. Technical problems with electricity here in the island. We are back online, and I was saying that Tantra has several levels of practice. One of them is the one related with the body, with alchemy, with kriyas, with chakra, energizing, in Hatha Yoga, Laya Yoga, Kundalini Yoga, and other branches. And then I was talking about the Kaula style. The Kaula style is more like a bhakti addressed to Shakti, but of course it can address any aspect, masculine or feminine. And this is where you find the Mahavidya Yoga. This is where you find the sexual Tantra. This is where you find uh, most of these technologies belonging to Shaktism, the worship of the feminine, the transfiguration. And this is very powerful. This is the middle range of Tantra in which things are not as physical and external as Hatha Yoga, like you don't need to do much with your body, but things are very much internal. And then there is the Tantra of the top of the range, which is of which Kashmiri Shaivism is a brilliant example. That means there is the Tantric tradition which addresses Ajna and specially, specially, specially Sahasrara. It's the sort of the Tantric yoga for Sahasrara. And that would be Kashmiri Shaivism. Is it the only way? No, there is, for example, in the south of India, in the Shaiva Siddhanta tradition of the yogis of the south of India, there is a, there are methodologies which are called Taraka Yoga, Amanaska Yoga, and others, which are also very high levels of yoga addressing Ajna and Sahasrara. So I wouldn't say that Kashmiri Shaivis is the only possible way to go with yoga in Ajna Sahasrara, but as you are going to see if when you'll join that workshop, uh, it's the highest method, the most powerful, the most crystallized, the most intellectually and philosophically perfect, the most adept method. And I, after I, I got to this opinion maybe 35 years ago, and today I still hold that opinion, that it is absolutely the highest method that India has produced in all its long and rich history of spirituality. Maybe there is some form of spirituality before the time of Krishna and Rama, you know, the two avatars who shaped the Indian spirituality and culture. But we don't know. We don't have any archaeological or scriptural witness about that. From what we have any scriptural or evidence of it, any historical evidence of it, Kashmiri Shaivis seems to be the top tantric tradition ever produced by Indian Tantra, and when comparing it to everything else, uh, it, uh, it goes higher than any other tradition. One of the explanations for this, and I'm going to show it better in the workshop, this is not one of the most salient points of what we're trying to do there, definitely far from it, is the fact that Kashmiri Shaivism appeared in the 8th century and was perfected by Abhinavagupta in the 10th century and the beginning of 11th century. And by that time, 
Judaism had done its work, that means it had been written down and exposed, set forth, Christianity had done its work, and Christianity had been rolling out with its mysticism for 10 centuries. Islam had been there for three centuries, and the early roots of Sufism were already showing up. So the Sufi tradition was there. The Kabbalistic tradition in the Judaism had been there already starting with the 5th, 6th, 7th century and on. And that means from the three Western religions, most of what has been done in the history of this planet was already on paper. It existed. From the standpoint of Hinduism, we have had the Vedic tradition, the Krishna time, the classical yoga, the yoga of Patanjali that is and others, the Vedic yoga, the Vedantic yoga, together with Adi Shankaracharya and the earlier proponents of that. Kundalini yoga had appeared and Hatha yoga with Matsyendra and Goraksha in the 5th, 6th century. Um, the Tibetan Buddhism had started already in the 7th, 8th century with Padmasambhava and the, some of the Tibetan gurus had been there already. We're talking about the century in the 10th century, we're talking about the century of Tilopa and Naropa, the starters of the greatest lineage of Tibetan yoga, which was imported from India as it is freely admitted nowadays. And in Buddhism, there had been the Hinayana Buddhism, the Mahayana Buddhism, now the Vajrayana Buddhism was coming strong. Again, in Hinduism in the 7th century, we had Adi Shankaracharya. Like very few things are lacking from the spiritual history of Hinduism, Buddhism, Christianity, Islam, or Judaism, just to name the five dominant religions in numbers and spreading on the face of this earth. So um, the conclusion is that the people like Abhinavagupta, they knew it all. They have heard about everything. And they had the opportunity to confront, to verify, to meditate, to feel, to experience. And at the same time, they had the possibility to confront the metaphysical problems. Because philosophy is almost never perfect. I remember one of the early students of Agama, who after having the Kashmir Shaivism intro, went in Holland and she joined the University of Philosophy. She took a degree in philosophy in Holland. And she was writing to me three years later. She said, you know, now I've studied Western philosophy and there's nothing which comes even close to Kashmiri Shaivism. You know, like Kashmiri Shaivism is perfection in terms of philosophy as well. Of course, they are not really interested in the philosophy of it, but in what you do and what's happening in your chakras and with your energy. They are interested in the effect, but even intellectually, metaphysically, and philosophically, this thing is polished, is brought to perfection. In Christianity, you have questions which are theologically unacceptable. Like, for example, who created the devil? Who created evil, if you prefer to keep it impersonal? No? And both answers, that it was done by God or it was not done by God, both answers are unacceptable theologically. I'll explain why when we study the way Kashmiri Shaivist twists this one. 
in Vedanta, you are asking Vedanta, which is considered to be one of the crown jewels of India and Indian spirituality, like Adi Shankaracharya is super great, and still in the system of Gaudapada and Adi Shankaracharya, if you ask the question, is Maya real, the illusion, is Maya real or unreal? This is a question without a logical answer in Vedanta, because, again, if it's created by Brahman, then it should be real, because a real actor can create only something which is real, because a plum tree produces plums, you know, it's always like that. And if it's unreal, then you don't have a way of explaining how a real entity can produce an unreal creation. And thus, uh, everywhere where you look in philosophy, it, it doesn't fit. It doesn't dovetail. In Kashmiri Shaivism, I think you will have a $1 million prize. I don't know who will pay the million dollars, but vir- virtually you will have a million dollar prize if you can find one thing which doesn't fit. If you find one question which doesn't work, you are a champion in logics, philosophy, and others, because nobody could find one. Nobody did find anything. Like what Abhinavagupta and these fellows created is like perfect. So if you are a perfectionist and a philosopher and an intellectual and a metaphysician, Kashmiri Shaivism is like the perfect orgasm. It's like going to a level where there is nothing. You just want to stay in those pure levels. It's like you are used with reading Plato and, uh, you know, high philosophers, and you would like to stay in that rarefied world of high-level philosophy. That's how Kashmiri Shaivism is from the standpoint of the thinking, of the ideas which are involved there. So... Kashmiri Shaivism in Agama, I want to be liberal and to say, you know, search other parts of the world, maybe you'll find something better, then come back to me and tell me. You know, but nobody did in the last 35 years. So I still preserve the opinion that Kashmiri Shaivism is the highest spiritual product of this planet. Like there is nothing, even in the Anuttara Yoga Tantra of the Tibetan Buddhists, who claim to have reached some levels of understanding of reality which are supreme. Even in whatever, Jesus Christ was God walking on earth and worshipping Jesus is the highest thing you can do. Even in the Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, the Pancharatra Vaishnavis, where you serve God and it's a supreme form of bhakti, you name it, whatever you will choose, you will see that Kashmiri Shaivism goes beyond all those. I haven't found anything which goes beyond Kashmiri Shaivism. Unfortunately, you almost don't find anything which goes close to Kashmiri Shaivism in terms of how far it can go and how far can it rise the spirit. And thus, Kashmiri Shaivism here in Agama is the top form of practice. Like you can practice Hatha Yoga for years and years and energize your chakras and open your nadis and balance your yin and yang side of the being and go into the astral body and go into the mental body. And then you can practice on top of it tantric techniques 
from the Shaktis, you know, you worship Kali and Tripura Sundari and you do this and you do that and so on. And you are having great results and you can become a great mystical person like Ramakrishna was worshipping Kali for years and years, uh, you know, and reaching mystical accomplishments which are out of this world. And still, the very top of the accomplishment is given in Agama by Kashmiri Shaivism. You are going to see that Kashmiri Shaivism makes it clear without any partinic thing, like there is no discrimination or struggle. You will see obviously that even the famous yoga of Patanjali, Patanjali is the king of yoga, Patanjali is the alpha and the omega and whatever, even the Patanjali yoga is stopping somewhere at a level which is incomplete from the standpoint. The level described by Patanjali, which is called Kaivalya, that you reach a state of insulation, isolation, where Purusha is separated from Prakriti, and all that is not the final answer to the quest of, the, of man, and it's not the final reality. And thus, uh, Kashmiri Shaivism goes beyond religions, beyond other forms of yoga, beyond classical yoga, beyond even Vedanta, and beyond many other, beyond Buddhism and so on. And uh, they claim it with naturalness and with arguments by studying the 36 tattvas, the nature of the universe, where does everything go, what kind of meditation this is. One of the later yogis, a disciple of Abhinavagupta, Apparently, he was also some nephew of him, so some family relative. Not that it's very important. Usually, they are not. Like Ramakrishna had many disciples, and none of them was a relative. There was a nephew of him who almost drove him to suicide. He was a total jerk and an asshole. So it's like in yoga, it's not like in Chinese Taoism or something where people make a family business out of it. It's a sort of a um, family is not included. But anyhow, one of the disciples of Abhinavagupta called Kshema Raja even wrote a short treatise where in the middle of it, Pratyabhigna Hridaya, the identification of the heart, and there in the recognition of the heart, he uh, makes a comparison with all the mystical traditions which were known to them in Kashmir, including Vajrayana Buddhism, Pancharantra Vaishnavism, the traditions around the Mahabharata and the Bhagavad Gita, other Vedanta, of course, which was very powerfully coming up at that time, and demonstrating with simplicity, with like, you know, it's like there's no struggle, you know, it's just the way it is, things are exactly what they are, you know, and demonstrating how Kashmiri Shaivism is top of the top. So, I don't know 20 years from now how many of you will be great Hatha yogis. Some of you probably will. And teaching and, you know, going strong with it. I don't know how many of you will become strong Shaktas and Kaulas manipulating these energies, worshipping the feminine, being Shaktas. Some of you will be. But if any one of you is looking for the top of the spiritual practice, like the upper top of Ajna and definitely Sahasrara, full on, go no further than Kashmiri Shaivism. When I will find something which goes one millimeter beyond Kashmiri Shaivism, I will let you know. But I'm pretty intelligent. I have read a lot. 
I have traveled and been in the world. I've kept my eyes open. And in the last, whatever, 35 years or more, not even close. Nothing came even close to compete realistically with Kashmiri Shaivism. That's why, for me, Kashmiri Shaivism is not a competition. It's just the fact that it is there. And that's why I wanted to keep it when the things which I received from my teachers when I was there, now when I started teaching, I wanted to keep them. There are the things of the Hatha Yoga and Kundalini, there are the things of the Shakta Tantra, and then there are the things of Kashmiri Shaivas, which are the crown on top of everything. Literally and metaphorically, they address exactly the crown of the work. And thus, Kashmiri Shaivas... We make it as an intro because it's, a, it's an advanced practice, you will see. But uh, we make it as an intro because people always say, Swamiji, if we give you six years of our lives so you to teach us this university of yoga, where does it take us? And that's what Kashmir Shaivism intro is. It's a herald of the goods to come. It's an appetizer of what lies in the later years of your yoga education. Because I can't do the later years of the yoga education now as much as I wish. No, for me, it's always when I do Kashmiri Shaivism, I'm flying really high. I'm really happy to go there and to be, to share with you this kind of, this, this reality, this spiritual reality. I would do that every day till the end of my life. No, like I would stay in it all the time, forever. It's amazing. But unfortunately, experience shows that people who start spirituality, they are not capable to catch it. In a certain way, the offensive Mr. Rajneesh, Osho Rajneesh, he said it in one of his discourses, which he called from medication to meditation. Now, we get people who come here and they are on Prozac and Xanax. No? That means they are depressed and fucked up. And then they want to go to meditation. But from medication, first you have to get to normality. And from normality, you start growing up into meditation. So unfortunately, um, I want to teach yoga and the high things as quick as possible. I would like to see you talking to me about the things of Abhinava Gupta tomorrow. No, like I would love to be with you there and to receive questions about these things. But it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen, you know, and uh, other things are the concern of people, physical problems, diseases, pains, blockages, emotional problems, addictions, a million other blockages, fears, lack of self-esteem, too much ego, too twisted, too this, blockages of the heart and so on. Like people are stumbling over many, many things before they get into the rarefied space where they can live out these spiritual things. So that's why in Agama we have a KS intro, which is starting in the coming Monday. It, that's why it's called Introduction into Kashmiri Shaivism. It's not the full Kashmiri Shaivism. One, that you cannot teach Kashmiri Shaivism in 36 hours. I, I know a fellow who has been teaching almost weekly some courses of Kashmiri Shaivism, somewhere in Eastern Europe, and he has been teaching it for about 30 years. 30 years every week. Yeah? That means like 40 courses in a year, 
multiplied with 30 years or 20 years, 25 years, something, you can make the math of like how many courses, and he hasn't finished. He is somewhere in the process of it. So that's why you cannot teach Kashmiri Shaivism in 36 hours of teaching. It's an intro. And in this intro, I have tried to adapt the techniques which you can do so that you do something which stays with you after these 36 hours, after this month of April, and which you can go home and practice even for the next 10 years. Those of you who will have the, who will love what they see in this, and who would say, that's what I want to do, that's what I want to do with my life, that's what I want my life to go, you will be patient, you will have patience with me because I'm building up your scaffold, I'm building up your nadis and chakras and energy and everything which you need to have, concentration of the mind, detachment from negative emotions and other and other things like that. And then uh, in a number of classes, in a number of levels of agama, after you will do 20-something levels of agama, then you will have the possibility to meet again with me and study Kashmiri Shaivism and advanced teachings, the difference being that at that time you will be able to feel your seven chakras, all of them, clearly. If I play a piece of music or something, you'll immediately feel on what chakra it is and there will be no doubts and no ambiguity. You will be able to concentrate, you'll be able to sit 50 minutes like a statue and not move and just concentrate and go into it you will not have uh, many, many inferior impurities. You will have a lot of yogic qualities which will allow you to go into this Kashmiri Shaivism full on. So, I'm not claiming that I'm teaching the Kashmiri Shaivism in 36 hours. It's an intro, but that intro is to answer to your question. I remember one of my friends from the young days she was uh, trying to speak about tantric yoga. She was having some job in Holland in the 1990s. You know? And some journalists said, this sounds like so much bullshit. You know, we in the West, we had the hippie years in the 60s and 70s. And we heard the Satchitananda and Maharishi Mahesh Yogi and everybody, you know, coming and talking about all these things. And there was the... Uh, the scandalous Osho and others and others, you know, and now like, what are you bringing new with this? And then she asked this kind of journalistic questions. What's the scope of your teachings? What's the ultimate philosophy be behind the yoga that you teach? Where does this thing lead? This workshop will answer those questions. If you want to know if you stay with Agama, where it goes, just join one Kashmiri Shaivis intro and that's where it goes. I'm going to show you in advance what lies at the foot of the rainbow. When you reach the foot of the rainbow, the, the foothold of the rainbow, that's what you find, this things. Only that you will find these things developed to the full extent, like not an intro of 36 hours, but the real deal, the real Monty. The full Monty. And thus, it will be your 
opportunity, and believe me, it was not easy to create this workshop, uh, because the question is, is how to push you into some Ajna Sahasrara things, even though some of you have done a month of yoga or five months of yoga or something, and how to get there, you know, how to give you advanced technology, which should work, although you may not consider yourself yet very much advanced. So this works. It works every time. I don't know if we in Agama, we have ever preserved testimonials from the previous years of what people experienced during Kashmiri Shaivism. You know, one Israeli student expressed it beautifully. He said, Swami, I'm blown out of the wa- of my water, you know, like that probably sums it up. You know, what, what you experience, how far it goes. And in this way, I think it answers a natural curiosity and a natural way of like, okay, let's see, these people are talking, their yoga is amazing. It seems that this Agama method is so splendid and everything, but uh, where does it go? And will I ever reach there? Can I have a little taste of that, an appetizer, you know, a dog biscuit, you know, something to have a little bit of a taste of it? You can. And that is called the Kashmir Shaivism intro. And of course, you will be able to have five to ten different practical technologies, which you can use for the rest of 2021, 22, 23, 24, until you get to the point of joining advanced teachings in Agama. And uh, therefore, it's not that you, I'm just uh, teasing you, and then it's like, wait, wait for the next three years, and then, no, you will have some technology, but I can never claim that it's the full technology of all the Kashmiri Shaivas. Just one treatise, which is, albeit, uh, we have to admit, is the most complete treatise on spiritual divine meditation ever written on the face of the earth. Like there are others, you know, I said, Taraka Yoga, there is the secret of the golden flower. There are uh, treatises on Mahamudra in Tibet and others. And not like, uh, of course, I am knowledgeable of what exists in the world of spiritual meditation and technology. <clears throat> but just one Kashmirian text, the Vigyana Bhairava, literally describes 112 ways of opening your Sahasrara and reaching the consciousness of Shiva, which that's what they call, what Buddha called Nirvana in Kashmiri Shaivism is termed as Shiva consciousness. For attaining this Shiva consciousness, one text describes 112 methods. If I tried to teach 112 methods in 36 hours, I would have like 20 minutes for one of them. You know, it's like, it's completely unfeasible and impossible and all that. When usually I teach the Vigyana Bhairava divided in four quarters over four seasons. Each, each season contains 28 weeks of teaching, 28 techniques, one technique per week. And that's just one text. There is more to this. The rabbit hole is much deeper than that. And that's why I'm telling you, those of you who really will fall in love with Kashmiri Shaivism, you are in the start of a very big adventure. Today, the Kashmiri Shaivism is almost extinct. In India, the people who are teaching parts of it, it's a joke. It's a joke. Like, you know, we have people in the school who didn't have 
patience and they said, okay, I'm going to speak with the heirs of Lakshmanju in whatever, in Jammu or whatever, in New Delhi, I'll go to India, I'm going to the source, you know, and they taught them that the technique which Swami Lakshmanju loved most was that when he inhaled, he drew the prana in his Ajna Chakra, and when he exhaled, he sent the prana out of his nose. So in and out and in and out, that's what you should do. That's not even at the level of the prana uchara, which we teach in level one here in Agama. No, it's not even that, you know, and if that is the secret of Lakshmanju, then you can roll on the floor with desperation, you know, like that's what it is. So, um, in India, it has disappeared almost completely. No? Like I remember when I visited Srinagar, there was one disciple of Lakshmanju who was living there. Lakshmanju was dead already. And this disciple, I asked him, what do you practice? You've been together with the last living master who lived in Kashmir. No, what? No, I'm not like what he was. Because in India, everybody says, oh, he was God, he was Guruji, he was this, he was that. Okay, but like, tell me something concrete, not just bhakti devotionalism, you know? Tell me something complete. And, and he said, oh, he said, I applied, uh, he gave me one technique from Vigyana Bhairava from those 112. And it was like, and it was the shloka which describes a Vedantic technique of meditation. There is in Vigyana Bhairava one Vedantic technique of medita- meditation which Tibetan yogis use for the yoga of the dreams. And that is to imagine that everything around is a dream and it's unreal. And he said it was very useful, especially when there were Muslim riots, because they were shooting at us, and the bullets were whizzing through the air, and I was going on the shore of the Dal Lake, and I was saying, everything is a dream, everything is just a dream, you know, it's like, I was going through machine gun fire, and so on, and bullets were flying around, and I was saying, yeah, everything is just a dream, the whole thing is a dream, you know, and so on. This is hardly a Kashmirian Shaiva meditation. This is a Vedantic meditation, and it's a Buddhist yoga meditation. But uh, Kashmiri Shaivism consists in much more than this. Much more than this, you know. I'm not trying to put down some of those people. I'm just telling you that uh, the age of the great masters in India is gone there, and they moved out of Kashmir because of the ethnic and the religious problems. And the final result is that it's you know, Kashmiri Shaivism has disappeared in India. There are a few teachers across the world who try to keep it alive. Agama Yoga is one of the schools where we still teach it full on, full power. And uh, we hope that this handful of teachers, maybe there are 10 teachers today who teach Kashmiri Shaivism at various levels across the world. We hope that these teachers will manage to give it further to the next generation. And we hope that 30 years from now, there will be another generation of teachers, maybe more than 10 even, who will still teach Kashmiri Shaivism authentic, powerfully, realistically, pragmatically, like practical yogis, not like uh, uh, confused practitioners. And thus, I'm telling you all this because I want you to understand the nature of this intro, And then there comes a week or, is it a week? It's eight days of practice. So you can deepen these things. And of course, then there come 888 years of practice for you. 
no? where you will deepen and deepen and deepen and deepen until you reach to the conclusion that Sahasrara has no end, basically, that the God consciousness is infinite and nobody has deepened it 100% because uh, in a human body, your brain and the indrias don't let you go into the full spreading of the wings. But, okay, as much as a human being can do, you can do as much practice as you wish. And, um, again, either you will consider it dry intellectual, metaphysical, or you will fall in love with it absolutely. Most people fall in love with it. They are scared in the beginning because you are going to learn minimum 100 new Sanskrit words only during this workshop. So it's very Sanskrit, very... That's why we teach Sanskrit a couple of weeks after, because some people then, they say, wait a second, I need to know more about this language, because there are some secrets of this language, which are related with Kashmiri Shaivism. You'll discover that this is not just another language. Exactly as Hebrew has been used in Kabbalah, and there is Gematria, and a million other applications of it, and magic names, and angel names, and divine names, and others, Exactly in the same way in Sanskrit, the rabbit hole is extremely deep and the connections, both numerological and others, more than numerological. The numerology itself is a a poor resonance, a low-level resonance compared to what it can be. Uh, Then uh, that's why uh, out of this experience I said, okay, let's revive it. I had a Dutch teacher who was teaching it five years ago, six years ago in Agama. Not exactly in the way of the Kashmiri Shaivism, but then uh, this year I said, okay, I'm going to teach it. Now we have a student in Sanskrit among us here as well who will help me with some of the graphic things. And so on. And uh, I'm going to teach the, the Sanskrit for yogis, like the yoga Sanskrit, not the gram- grammar or other things. If you want academic Sanskrit, go to the university. There are many universities who will be happy to teach you Sanskrit of good quality. Um, So back to our story. Kashmiri Shaivism is opening a lot of doors for you. It's the yoga of Sahasrara. It's the ultimate yoga. It's a bit difficult if you are a total beginner. If you've been in yoga for a year or two or three then you are going to fly through it. You are going to understand a lot of things easily. And um, once you reach a certain level, it's exactly like the rockets which launch the space shuttle or something. You know, first there is one rocket, then it falls off, then there are two more rockets, then they fall off, and then finally you go to the third stage of the rocket which propels you into pure space. It's the same here. You will see that after you do enough yoga and tantra, It's like you have burned the shuttle number one and the shuttle number two, and then suddenly you are ready to go into this rarefied space of the crown and to meditate and be there. That's why um, I acknowledge freely that Kashmiri Shaivism is the best, the highest yoga. I don't think you'll find ever anything to compete with it. You may reach to the point where you'll say, well, I'm not good enough for this level of Kashmiri Shaivism, so I prefer to go into a Christian monastery and pray to Jesus. I don't want to put down praying to Jesus because it can take you to God, but it's not Kashmiri Shaivism, right? It's a methodology of bhakti, of bhakti devotionalism, you know? 
And uh, you will see Kashmiri Shaivism uses bhakti, but in a very divine way, in a very transcendental way. And uh, thus, um, Kashmiri Shaivism will remain always the top method that you have encountered. And if you will be good enough for it, because there are people who 15 years ago were practicing yoga here in this island with me. And now they are not. Not because we had a differendum, you know, like we didn't have any conflict or anything. There are people with whom I had conflicts because people project and when they want to leave me or the school, they have to get angry at me or at the school because otherwise they don't have an excuse. And then they find some projections, you know, by which they kind of find, and then they say, yeah, I left, but it was not acceptable and so on. And they, okay, it's okay. For me, it's a known thing that people come and go. It's a pyramid-like structure. The higher you go in the levels, the fewer and fewer survive. That's, I haven't invented that principle. It's a principle in metaphysics that out of a thousand people who start practicing, one reaches the greater accomplishment. And therefore, uh, that's why I'm saying, I don't know if you'll be practicing still in 15 years from now, but if you will be practicing in 15 years from now, you will know that Kashmiri Shaivism is the top of the practice where you can reach. And uh, in that way, uh, you will always see that what you start this week in March is something which is valid for the rest of your lives. It will not be replaced in any way by anything. You may love a lot of things and a lot of other things, and you know you see that there are in Agama people who love to do Hatha Yoga still. There are people who love to do Bhakti Yoga. There are people, it's not because I'm not daring to call them inferior in any way. Because it's a matter of what your body, mind, soul is. It's a matter of resonance and what works for you. But even those people who do well, this or that, they know very clearly that Kashmiri Shaivism still provides the top methods for working on your spirituality. That's why I can only invite you, those who did it already, and there are in this room people who did with me, Kashmiri Shaivism at least once or twice or three times or more. Um, they come specially to it because they just want to go so high. Now they understand it much, much better than the first time when they took it, when they attended it. And uh, for those of you for whom it will be the first time, prepare for a beautiful surprise. It's something which will inspire you for the rest of your lives especially if you have a future in spirituality. If your life is a, going to be a spiritual life, then uh, you are in for a treat of the Soma, a treat of the immortality. You are going to get a little droplet of the honey of God you know, and see how it looks. And then later you will get more and more of it, more and more of it. I have uh, not enough words to praise Kashmiri Shaivas, and the masters who created it. And um, the only downside of it is that this yoga is a sort of a yoga without feet, without legs. You know, it's like if you have a problem with your liver or with your stomach or with your jealousy for your girlfriend or boyfriend, Kashmiri Shaivism is not going to solve it, period. Udhyana Banda, 
will. And therefore, Kashmiri Shaivism without Udhyana Banda or something similar, it worked for those people because those people were living 10 centimeters above the ground. You know, they were very special people in a very special culture. For the normal people of today, Kashmiri Shaivism would be because I could make Agama to be a school of Kashmiri Shaivism. Actually, the name Agama is the name of the tradition of the tantric tradition of the their texts. Vigyana Bhairava, which I mentioned before, is an Agama. The texts themselves are called Agamas, you know, so it's like Agama is the school inspired by the Agamas. It's, it's from there, it's where it, it, it is coming, the name of this school. And you will even understand what Agama means, literally, as Abhinava Gupta explains the meaning of this word. So I could make uh, Agama a school of Kashmiri Shaivas, and that's it. But it would be without Udhyana Banda, it would be without the shoulder stand, it would be without the sexual continence, it would be without the um, Mahavidya Yoga, it would be without this or that. Uh, it could be very spiritual. A lot of Sahasrara and a bit of Ajna put to it, added to it. But um, that would be very incomplete from the standpoint of the modern man and the modern woman. The modern people need Hatha Yoga, they need dietary instruction, they need pranayama, they need visualizations, they need working on chakras, they need Mahavidya Yoga, they need a lot of other things. And that's why Agama is for us a complex method. It's a Kashmiri Shaivism with feet, with legs. That means on purpose, there is in the beginning a solid foundation of Hatha Yoga, Kundalini Yoga, Laya Yoga, on purpose, there is in the beginning a solid foundation of meditation, shaktism, mahavidya, mantras, yantras, and other things like that. And then on top of them, then you can put the cherry on top of the cake. And the cherry on top of the cake is precisely this Kashmiri Shaivas. So with this workshop, you are going to taste the cherry on top of the cake. See if the cake is good enough for you. So in this way... Um, this workshop is exceptional in many ways, and I have chosen to do it once a year so that people can have the time to decide if they want to have this appetizer, this herald of the things, of the good things to come. And um, I can, again, I can speak the whole evening about it, but there is no need. You got the point. Yeah, it's an amazing yoga and. I invite you to join it. If this year, for one reason, either you or those who are online, they cannot join the KS, there will be one, except uh, in very dramatic, tragic events, there would be one in 2022, and there would be one in 2023. So whenever you plan or you intend, join a Kashmiri Shaivist intro and see for yourselves where it goes and how it works. That's all that I need to say at this point. So this makes it a, a short um, satsang that I have done tonight. I have been asked in particular to mention what's the difference or what is the story about this Kashmir Shaivism intensive practice. I said it from the very beginning. It's the result of the fact that our students, after doing 36 hours of Kashmiri Shaivism intro, 
they were completely on fire. Like those who catch it, they really catch it and they are like, whoa. No? And then there existed this sort of frustration, like we would like to do this a lot if possible, please. And thus, uh, we put, and then we had a break of two, three years due to our logistical problems here in Agama, but now it's back. We put that after the KS intro, there should always be a week of KS intensive practice where there will be practically no teaching of theory. There will be just a few words, just a few concepts to remind to you of the things which you are doing and there will be a lot of practice. So a lot of the technology of KS, like sitting down and practicing and doing things in that style. That's basically why it's divided in two things. The KS intro, which contains insufficient practice, and the KS intensive, in which you can take revenge and do a lot of practice based on what you have learned. As you know, I don't take questions in the satsangs, but because this was a master class, as they call them today, of course, I could take some of your questions. If there is something which I forgot to say or which is very important, and you know, especially those of you who did it before, remind me so by a question, by alluding to it, so I can inform the people what we are dealing with. Otherwise, when if there are no questions, then we'll stop here. Thank you all for joining. I hope to see you in the spirit of Kashmiri Shaivas. Even if you cannot join this year because you have specific personal problems, I hope to see you next year or sometime into it. And my hope is definitely to see you in the advanced teachings of Agama where you will go into these things full power and uh, experience them. Enough for tonight. Thank you all for joining. See you further. Actually, next week... Uh, we don't have a satsang because of the Kashmiri Shaivis workshop. So I'll see you there, or if not, I'll see you 